angels rejoicing because it is done. A child of the Father, here with the Son, saved by the blood of the crucified one. Saved, saved, my sins are all pardoned, guilt is all gone. Saved, saved, I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. The Father he spake and his will it was done. Great price of thy pardon, precious son. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. Save, save. My all pardon, my guilt is all gone. Save, save. I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. All hail to the all hail to the Son, all hail to the Spirit, the great three in one, saved by the blood of the crucified one. Save, save, sins are all pardoned, my guilt is all gone, amen. Save, save, I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Amen. All right, hang on just a second. I, it's been a while since we've done this. I understand right now we don't have the hymn books and the screen's already up and it, this can be a little stressful, but it's good to praise the Lord. And uh, are you feel like you're getting a little out of breath on that song a little bit? All right, so let's do this. Let's take a deep breath. Do your best to sing that first verse from memory. And then on the course, can we go a cappella, Miss Brenda, and lift it out? And maybe Brother Adam, talk him through that first verse, help him out. Do my best. Maybe you'll, anyway, I'm not, I'm, I just need to shut it. All right, you do your thing. Amen. All right. It's okay if it's a solo, but let's sing it out. Saved by the blood of the crucified one, now ransomed from sin and a new work begun. Sing praise to the Father and praise to the Son. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. Amen. Saved, saved. My sins are all pardoned. My guilt is all gone. Saved, saved. I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Amen. Great singing. That is wonderful singing, and praise the Lord for it. Please open your Bibles while you're standing to Genesis chapter 47. Genesis chapter 47. Again, uh, just want to mention what's already been stated. Guests, it's an honor to have you with us, and so thankful for everyone that is participating through the live stream or here. And uh, we know that a lot of different things are going on. And, and just as believers, we need to continue to be driven by a spirit of love and grace in Jesus Christ. And uh, for those that are here, uh, to continue to encourage. And for those that are home, 
um, continue to encourage and to pray, and just to be mindful of one another through love and good works in all the ways that God gives us an opportunity to do that. Uh, something Brother Max mentioned that I, I just want to mention again is that the greatest thing we can do for our nation, for our community at any time, is to be the right kind of representatives for Jesus Christ and to give the gospel. He made a couple of statements, and you shouldn't have a problem with either one of them. Number one, our nation has made great progress from its inception. It has made lots of progress in lots of different ways. Another statement was this, it still needs to make great progress. That shouldn't bother you. Because there's never been a moment when our nation hasn't need to make progress because of this. We're all sinners. It's not as though we have ever been a perfect nation. And you can, in fact, if you want to you do a little American history, and I can tell by the looks on your faces, you really want me to give you a history lesson right now. But you, know, you go back to the 1950s era when there was an official move by our government to begin to remove God from the public arena, and it may not have seemed as significant at first, but there have been some downward trends since that time. Now, there have been some things that have improved since that time as well, but it's obvious in every generation of history, in every generation of America, of American history, there has been a need to continue to improve. And so the best thing we can do as God's people is to be the right kind of representatives for Jesus Christ to love him and to allow him to change us, and that'll make the best difference in our time and in whatever time God gives to our nation beyond. All right, you're welcome for that. Uh, Genesis chapter 47. We are continuing our series out of the life of Joseph, and the title of the series is this, God Meant It for Good. This is the 33rd sermon uh, from this series, and I'm looking forward as we get into the last couple of chapters. We're going to, um, we we dealt with the first and the last section of chapter 47 already. Today we're going to deal with this middle portion and uh, some interesting uh, narrative here that we'll hopefully be able to benefit from as we get into the final couple of chapters here. So Genesis 47, uh, beginning in verse number 13. And there was no bread in all the land, For the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the corn which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, Give us bread. For why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. And Joseph said to the people and to their representatives, Give your cattle, and I will give you for your cattle if money fail. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses, and for the flocks, and for the cattle of the herds, and for the asses. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. And when that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, We will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land? 
Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. And Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for the Egyptians sold every man his field, because the famine prevailed over them, so the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them to cities from one end of the borders of Egypt, even to the other end thereof. Only the land of the priest bought he not, for the priest had a portion assigned them of Pharaoh, and did eat their portion which Pharaoh gave them, wherefore they sold not their lands. Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, and ye shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass now, please get verse number 24. Let, let me just go ahead and make this comment. If you're, if, you're reading, if you're paying attention as we read this, some of this ought to be rubbing you the wrong way a little bit. I mean, it did me the first eight or 15 times I went through it. Like, what in the world is going on here? But pay attention to verse number 24. And it came to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own, for seed of the field, and for your food, and for them of your households, and for food for your little ones. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt unto this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth part, except the land of the priest only, which became not Pharaoh's. So here's the title of the message, Power and Profit, Power and Profit. As I, again, as I read through this text multiple times, something about it just, man, it just seems to be, it just seems to be off. Just, I don't, I don't like reading this kind of terminology, but then when you actually get in to the, if I can say it this way, to the nuts and bolts of the nitty gritty of what Joseph actually did, considering the circumstances, you find that it's a lot different than what you might initially have thought. So power and profit. Father, thank you for the time this morning, and I just pray for your blessing on us as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. How many of you, just by raising your hands or giggling or saying amen, would say, I have been the victim of a power trip? Anybody? Yeah. Now, I don't expect you to be honest about this, so I'm not going to ask for a response. But how many of you have ever executed a power trip on somebody? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do on my kids all the time, you know, when we're having, when someone gives them candy, we have the daddy tax in our house, and it's not a fixed rate. <laughs> it's called whatever rate I want to consume it at, that's what it's called. You know, you know, you're familiar, we are in our culture with the idea of a power trip, you, you have a boss who gets promoted. I remember when I was in college, I worked as a security officer. And later, to become more politically correct, they didn't like the implication of security officers, so they started calling us loss prevention officers. And, and I looked like a little bit, a, a, a modern version of Barney Fife. I mean, they didn't, 
They didn't let us have any kind of weapon. I had a flashlight and a walkie-talkie. So in my mind, with my physical makeup, the uniform I was wearing, I, I had a badge. I had one right there. I, I wasn't sure what loss I was going to prevent. <laughs> like someone comes in armed, I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> See, I don't, I don't know what you're expecting me to do. Loss prevention officer. But I, re- I remember one particular uh, in boss in, during that time, he, he acted sometimes like we were special forces. And, I mean, just the way that he talked to the employees of the company that we were providing uh, security or loss prevention awareness for and in the way that he would deal with his subordinates like me. It's like, bro, you need to be aware of what we are and what we are not. I'm not saying don't do a good job, but just remember who we are. We're loss prevention officers. We observe and report. This is what that means. We hide (laughs) and communicate what details we can about what's going on. You're familiar with... uh, you're familiar with power trips. I've seen it in authority figures. I've seen it um, at times in, um, with people in positions of authority and civil authority, like local, city, state authority figures. Think about it. I think it was the governor of Michigan who for a time was saying that you can't buy seed for your gardens to plant. Stuff like that. I know in California, I saw a tweet from a church in California uh, that was talking about today because California is now trying to ban singing in churches. This is what you call that, power tripping. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to get off on this right now. There is a thing called the Constitution. (laughs) I'll deal with that later, and I will deal with that later at a later, much later date. Uh, but there are people who, when they, they get this sight, they, they, they get a taste of power. No, this is real. When they get a taste of power, that, they, that goes to their head, and they want to see how far they can push that power. Uh, okay, you don't have to like that or not. That's a true statement. Uh, think about uh, a church in Mississippi during uh, the earlier phases of the quarantine. They, they were meeting in this way. A drive-in service. They, they weren't mingling. The cars would show up and they would listen to the service on their radio. They weren't shaking hands. They were by... And in, in the same areas, there are Sonics that are open. You drive in and get a hamburger and yet the law enforcement shows up and writes everyone there a $500 ticket, according to the mayor. You know what that's called? Power tripping. Yep. You're on a power trip. You got a little taste of it. And you want to you see how far you can push it. You want to see how m- much advantage of people in a vulnerable state, how much advantage of them you can take. Come on, y'all stay with me. I, this is accurate. No, I understand. There, there, are legitimate, there are legitimate concerns about this virus, and especially for people in specific age groups or with specific Uh, concerns about their immune system, but just based on observation and the behavior of people in positions of authority, there there is no doubt 
that there are those in power who, uh, as low as a mayor's office up to a governor, and even federal level in some cases, where people have preyed upon and used the fear of people in order to take, try and take more control. How can you say that? When you're writing people tickets for sitting in their car that is on a power trip, when you're telling people that attend a church, you can go there but you can't sing, that is an invasion of using your power. But it's not just now that it happens. Okay, you know this about me. We don't need to be afraid of examples because it makes us uncomfortable. And I understand in the current climate, you could say it's not really expedient to mention this. But we do need to be aware of that. I am, I am, I, I am pro, pro, pro police. A, a, a society without authority like that descends into anarchy and chaos pro-police but we ought not to lie to ourselves and think that every individual police officer always does the right thing oh in fact i i knew a individual growing up and he became a police officer after school got on a power trip Ended up abusing that power in a destructive way, losing his job. The community that he represented um, received multiple lawsuits, I believe, on his behalf because that authority and that power went to his head. People in positions of vulnerability. Now look, don't get mad at that. Okay, are you with me this morning? There, there are people who when they, ha- they are in a position of power, and they have, an, they have an opportunity to take advantage of those who are vulnerable or who have less power, whether it's someone in their custody as a representative of the law, or it's someone under their authority as an elected official, when they see an opportunity to take advantage of vulnerability, they get on this power trip and they start mandating and they start limiting freedom and they start taking more control. Instead of using that power for the profit of others, get this, instead of using that power for the profit of others, they use that power for their own profit. Yeah. This text, beginning in verse number 13, decount, or excuse me, accounts the, the final few years of the famine and how Joseph navigated them. Now, just for the sake of memory, And remembering how severe this was, turn back to chapter 41, beginning in verse number 53. We've already made it through. Uh, By the time we get to chapter 47, multiple years of the famine have already passed. Beginning in verse 53 of chapter 41, in the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended, and the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt 
to Joseph for to buy corn because that the famine was so sore in all the lands. It's so bad, no one is, no one is able to, buy, to, to sow seed or to reap crops. And in Egypt, they have the opportunity to buy corn, but there is no ability to reap any harvest because the famine is so bad. They use words in chapter 41 like dearth and famished, meaning there is a serious threat of impoverishment to the point of death. Look now in chapter 47 in verse 13. And there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. This was a time, based on the description of the text in chapter 41 and in chapter 47, this was a time of epic famine, of widespread poverty and suffering and the threat of imminent death because of a lack of resources and food. Now, you notice the reference in chapter 41 how that there had been preparation made and corn had been stored up by Joseph through his leadership, and so the Egyptians had opportunity to buy corn. Well, in verse number 14 and down through verse number 15, we find out that eventually the Egyptians ran out of money. Over the first few years of the famine, they would have spent what they had saved up, but because there's been no harvest, they have nothing that they're able to sell, and therefore, because they're not able to grow and sell anything, they therefore eventually are going to run out of money. And it says at the beginning of verse number 15, and when money failed in the land of Egypt. So now they're in this point to where not only has it been three or four years that they've not been able to grow any crops for themselves, but the money that they saved up from the, pre- the seven years of plenty That money has now all been spent, and so they're maybe three or four years into the famine, and they have no crops, and they have no money because they've already spent it on the first part of the famine. And so they come to Joseph, and they say, hey, this money's failed. In verse 16, Joseph said, give your cattle, and I will give you for your cattle if money fail. Now, remember we talked about this uh, one or two messages ago that the Egyptians reverenced the cattle in a way that shouldn't have been, but they wouldn't often eat cattle. Many times they would use them for work animals and uh, transportation animals. But because there's no land to work because of the famine, the cattle would have been an extra expense that individuals could not afford. Now we've seen that happen in our own country with livestock. At different times, different kinds of livestock. When that livestock loses its value and it just becomes a weight, a financial weight upon the owner. And so therefore the, the price of the livestock goes down. And so they're in this position now where they're, for a few years their fields aren't bringing forth any crops to eat or to sell. And so they use money from the seven years of plenty, but that's gone. And now they have these animals that they're supposed to be maintaining But they don't have any crops, so they don't have any labor, and they don't have the resources to feed them. They can't even feed their own families, let alone their work animals. So Joseph says, I will take responsibility for the flocks, and you can exchange those for food. Then after that runs out, in verse 18, when that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, We will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath 
our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. And then they ask this question. They're thinking, wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land? What good is it going to do us to be the owners of this land if we are dead? And if we die and our children die, what good is that going to be to us? So this is what we'll do. And, and they're the ones, notice this, this is important. They're the ones who make this offer to Joseph. Beginning in verse 19. Buy us and our land for bread. We and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh and give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. And so they say, listen, we're, we are running out of options and opportunity. The only thing we have left is to give ourselves and we, or we're going to die because we're going to run out of food. And so in verse 20, Joseph agrees. And honestly, it, just in reading the text, it rubs me the wrong way when I hear about selling ourselves and buying people and servants. No, that bothers me. Just, just reading it, that bothers me. Okay, stay with me here. In verse 20, and so Joseph bought all of that. And in the text even said, for the Egyptians sold every man his field because the famine prevailed over them. So the land became Pharaoh's. Then notice what it says in verse number 21, that there was a great relocation project. He removed them to the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt, even to the other end. Verse 22 distinguishes, well, actually, let me go back to verse 21. Just think about this logically. If they're, they're not farming the land, and if you go back to chapter um, 41, when Joseph was laying out the plan to Pharaoh about building storehouses, these storehouses would have been centrally located. Okay, just think with me. So he's taking them out of a place where they're spread out, and he's centrally locating them so that they, everyone has equal access to the food and that it, the, uh, the need to feed them is consolidated. It's expedited. And so he's trying to make it efficient in the way that they're taking care of them. Verse 22, there's a distinction between the priest's land and the land of others. Now here's, here's a complaint. And just that the initial reading, and when I first read it, Several times I was thinking something along these lines. This is an act of tyranny. This, can I say this word? This sounds like a government takeover. And some would say, I wouldn't stand for this. And if in fact it was an act of tyranny, I agree that it shouldn't be stood for. But notice the contrast between the way the, the citizens made the offer and the terms that Joseph actually set. And keep this in mind, Joseph only used the terms that they used. They're the ones who made the offer. Joseph used, used those same uh, terms to describe it. But the terms of the agreement that he actually set, notice what they are. Verse 23 through verse 26, he says this, that I'll give you the seed when the famine is over. You sow the land, in verse 24. It shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own. 
So if you have a hundred, a fifth would be what? Twenty, I think. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. Somebody help me. Homeschool high five. All right. Somebody make sure I'm doing this right. <laughs> a fifth would be twenty, and that would leave how much to them? Out of a hundred. Go ahead. Go ahead and say it. So. This is what, these are the terms of the agreement. Joseph says, I'm going to give you seed, which means a couple of things. It's not stated, but this is the, this is what would have to have happened. That means after the famine is over, they go back to the land to begin to farm it. That means that after the famine is over and they begin in that, in between that seventh and eighth year when the crops will begin to grow again, that means they get their cattle back because they have to have something by which to till and to farm and to do all of those things. So this is the implication of that. Okay, there is going to be an obligation to Pharaoh, but this is the extent of the obligation. It is a fifth. And so out of every 100 parts, then Pharaoh is going to get 20 and you get 80. You go back to the land, you farm the land, you keep the land. And notice what he even says in verse number 24, and it shall come to pass in the increase that you shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh and four parts shall be your own for seed of the field and for your food and for them of your households and for food for your little ones. Now, just think with me. You've studied history. You've studied our history. You've studied other nations' history. Oppressive, tyrannical, slavery, does not look like this. No, no, no. Oppressive slavery, as we understand it, this is what that looks like. I own you, I own everything about you. And we can even read tragic stories of families being separated at the whims of a power-tripping slave master. We read of children, of women, of men being abused and being beaten and being sold like cattle for the sake of profit. Joseph was doing nothing of the kind. No, I understand at first reading, the terms kind of rub us the wrong way. But remember, in verse number 19, it was the citizens of Egypt that introduced those kind of concepts and said, we, we will sell ourselves and our land. But then Joseph, as the one in authority and power, he dictates the terms to them. And he says, okay, this is what the terms will be. The land, okay, the land will be Pharaoh's, but by... By the understanding of the terms, this is what that means. You're going to have to pay a one-fifth tax every year off of what you make. Now again, someone would say, this really seems like an act of tyranny, and I wouldn't stand, I wouldn't stand for that. Okay, can I remind you of what our tax rates are in this country? Oh no, I'm going to. <laughs> Um, California's tax rate, if you make 120000 living in the, I like how this is described, living in the region of California, you will be taxed 37113 That means your net pay will be 82887 per, per year or 6907 per month. That's just based on this. What I read, your average tax rate is almost 31%, something like that. It may be different depending on varying factors. I'm just trying to get a basic idea. You say, yep, that's why we're in Idaho. Okay, so let me tell you what Idaho's tax rate is since you're so curious. 
And uh, I'm going to try to remember this the next time someone moves from California and says, I can't stand the taxes. Well, we got taxes here. (laughs) And this is from an article published by Yahoo earlier this year, just talking about the tax rates by state. If you make $100,000 in Idaho, then uh, your take-home pay, again, this isn't factoring every possible um, dependent or things like that, just a baseline, your take-home pay for yourself would be $66,394. Man, man, what Joseph did. You know what it seems like when we actually have context? I'd take the tax rate in Egypt. I can tell y'all are having fun with this. Now, Idaho does some things to compensate for that. They, and again, there are other factors, and I understand that. And it's not going to be the same for every family. Like if you have a daycare as a family, which I do, and, I mean, other factors, and then you own your own business, and that can increase. I mean, look, I understand all of those things. But let's not pretend like we don't know what heavy taxes are like. Let's be honest that the taxes that we pay in the land of the free and the home of the brave are greater than what Joseph was requiring. Just be honest and admit that. Now, please get this. The Egyptians in chapter 19 and 20, or excuse me, verse 19 and 20, were completely dependent upon Joseph. Get this. And at his mercy. No harvest, no ability to sow another seed. No cattle, no need for the cattle to work the land, and therefore I'll get them for food. But the cattle run out. I have no money, I have no cattle. I have nothing left but myself. Joseph, we are going to die. Now listen, you can, you can be all critical, and you can think negatively, but until you've been through a seven-year famine, or up to that point maybe a four- or five-year famine that completely decimated your savings account, and there was no other option, you had sold everything of value, and the only thing left was yourself, and you look at your wife, and you look at your husband, and you look at your children, don't pretend like you wouldn't be desperate for someone to help you. Just... Listen, we're not talking about having to buy ramen noodles, or as I say it, ramen noodles. Get over it. We're not talking about having to buy ramen noodles. We're talking about not having the option to buy or eat anything. They are completely helpless. They are completely, get this, they are completely at Joseph's mercy. Because of their helplessness, And because of his authority, he could have taken much more from them. You go to chapter 41, and this is what you find. Pharaoh, stay with me, and I'll try to get through this quick. Pharaoh gives Joseph a blank check to do whatever he wants to do in preparation for that famine. And if you go back and look at chapter 41, you find that what Joseph took as a tax in preparation for the famine was one-fifth. 
And so instead of just ripping everybody off in a time of abundance, he takes one-fifth. And, you say, and, and some commentators say that the, the abundance from the fields would have been 30-fold. So you plant one seed, you get 30 returned from that one seed. So even in that time, there's going to be a significant increase, and it's not going to be a problem to invest that. The point being, though, that Joseph had authority from Pharaoh to do as he pleased. So when you combine the helplessness and the desperation of the people and their inability to provide food, and then you combine that with the authority that Joseph has been given by Pharaoh, you can see there is the potential for great human tragedy and great suffering. Yeah, let me say it this way. There is a chance for a power trip. And we've seen examples of this. In Sudan, this was an article from 2017. I didn't cross-reference to see who's currently ruling now, but in 2017, these were the updated statistics. In Sudan, Omar al-Bashir, he's the first leader of a nation to be indicted by the ICC, the International Criminal Court. He's guilty of ethnic cleansing in a civil war that cost over 300,000 Sudanese their lives, while at the same time amassing $9 billion in personal wealth. North Korea, Kim Jong-un, like his father, runs a police state where there's absolute media control and dissenters and those who are able to escape describe executions, labor camps, and forced abortions. In Zimbabwe, at the time of this article, Robert Mugabe, one of his or his elite fighting force force called the 5th Brigade, was trained by North Koreans. And he had the Constitution rewritten to give unassailable power to himself. You say, why are you bringing those up? Because we have both ancient and modern examples of evil men in power abusing that power for their own profit and despising the lives of the vulnerable. And listen... We even have examples of that to lesser and sometimes equally as tragic degrees of that here in the United States of America. Listen, I can love America and still be honest about different aspects of our history and our treatment of people. I can still love America and support America and be honest about the way different entities within that government structure use that authority even today. People, amen. Even today, we see individuals who get a taste of power, who use that power to profit only themselves. And yet Joseph, he did not use that power to profit himself. Now, he had an obligation to care for his family. He had a wife and two sons. He also had an obligation to Pharaoh to look out for the interest of all of Egypt as a nation, national interest. But he also had an obligation, as Romans talks about, that any leader does to look out for the individual interests of the people that he has authority over. 
Now, that is a lost concept in today's culture. It's becoming increasingly lost that rulers who are in positions of power around the world or here believe that the purpose of the masses is to enable them to stay in power. But they've got it wrong. The people are in power so that they might use that power from God to preserve life among the people over whom they have authority. That's not an American idea. That's a biblical idea. Authority comes from God. And it's to be used for the welfare of people over whom it is exercised. Now again, I'll reference this one more time. There was some knucklehead that I read that called Joseph a tyrant. And this is what I say to that. Bologna. Baloney. Pronounce it like I do Roman. (laughs) Mispronounce it like I do. When When he had absolute power, He restrained his power for the benefit of many people. Listen, I'm almost to the application. Please stay with me. Notice the pattern in Joseph's life. This was a pattern. At home, he had power as the preferred son in the dream from God, but he did not use that to manipulate or gain an advantage. Rather, he obeyed his father and tried to minister to and check on his brethren as he, uh, brothers as he was commanded. In Potiphar's house, through the blessing of God and his own diligence, he quickly ascended and became the primary master over Potiphar's house. Yes, he was still a servant to Potiphar, but he had control and access over every one of Potiphar's resources, even describing himself as this, no one is greater than I in this household except for Potiphar. And when he could have taken advantage for his own selfish gain in an illicit relationship with Potiphar's wife, he chose to restrain his power and use that for the good of everyone involved. Then when he was in prison, as a result of being lied about by Potiphar's wife, he quickly again was promoted and the keeper of the prison entrusted him and he used that position in prison to care for other prisoners and to minister to them. And then when he is promoted and becomes second in command in all of Egypt and his brothers come and the dream is fulfilled and they bow before him, rather than using the power and authority to get vengeance, he so beautifully and graciously states, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good to save much people alive. I'm telling you from the beginning his life begins to be recorded. There is an observable pattern that Joseph over and over was given a position of power and every time rather than using it for his own profit he used it for the profit of everyone around him even when they did not deserve it and so now at the peak of his power and at the lowest point of these people's vulnerability did he require investment from them yeah just like your government requires investment from you at a heavier rate, but he did not burden them to the point of not being able to live. In fact, he restored them and in many ways elevated them. When Joseph was in power, here's the statement, everyone profited. We can see many examples of how people, when they get into power, their only concern about profit is themselves. Now, let me talk about you for a few minutes. You're doing a great job listening. But, but please think about your own life for a moment. You may not have the power of Joseph, but you do have some power. You may not have the rule over a nation, but you have the ability to make decisions. You have the ability to invest talent and time and resources 
And every decision that you make has an effect on those around you. And probably that effect reaches much further than you realize. In a home, a husband, according to the word of God, has authority. And he can use that authority to be domineering and to be abusive and to always get his way. Or out of political correctness and the pressure to that, he can relinquish that authority and just let everyone else guide the home or lead the home instead of himself. Or he could use that power to benefit everyone involved. He can use that power to be a blessing to his wife. He can use that power to raise his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. No, a man in a home has authority. He has power. The question is, how is he going to use it? A wife in a home has power. God created a woman with a unique ability to influence and to persuade. And she can use her influence to demand and to manipulate Or she can use it to guide the home, as scripture says, and to nurture and to encourage and to help a man as God intended to help a man lead. A child has power in a home. You say, what what power does a child have? Listen, you know this is true. That children, by their behavior, either affirm. It's a true statement. Your kids can either make you look good or not so good. I've been there. No, as a child. There were a couple of times I made my parents look good. And then there were those other times. No, I create a view of my home. Young people, young ladies, young men, you have the power to create a view of your home and of your parents based on your conduct. You have power. You say, well, I have to obey my parents. Right, but the way that you obey your parents or the way that you resist their authority can either create a place or help to contribute to an atmosphere in your home of unity and of peace and harmony or it can be a place of great conflict because you are a spoiled brat and you always have to get your way. Well, you have power. At a job, an employer, or a boss can use people only for gain with no concern for their welfare, or they can hire people to benefit the company and hire them in order to develop them and allow them to have success. An employee can despise his boss for having authority or making profit and give minimal effort while making maximum demands for compensation. Well, you know what I'm talking about. There are employees like that. They give minimum effort, but they want maximum compensation. You know that goes on. Or they could do this. They could be grateful for a job. And they could understand that they need to work in a way that pleases the Lord and work hard for the benefit of their employer, understanding that when the employer benefits, that increases my opportunity to benefit. (sighs) Homeschool economics, hallelujah. Okay, I'm just having fun with that. Y'all forgive me. I'm not, whatever, sorry. I'm already, let's move on. Listen, basic economics. Listen, I don't, I don't like that I have a boss. Everybody's got a boss. I don't want a boss. Everybody's got a boss. And so you have this authority. And you understand that when you work hard so that your authority can prosper, that you in the end increase your opportunities to prosper. Amen.
Okay. In a church, you have power. You have influence. Uh, listen, every, every person who is a part of a church has influence in that church. To what degree you develop that and maximize it and how you do, that's up to you. You can use it to sow dissension. You can use it to manipulate. You can use it to undermine direction and God-established authority. Or you can use it to serve, to keep unity, to move people together. Well, I don't always agree with every decision. Okay, if it's a biblical issue, right, obviously there needs to be a discussion. But there are many times that there is much dissension that happens over matters of preference. And not biblical principle. And you don't have to like the color of everything and agree with every, the way every single decision was made to say, generally, it seems like our pastor and those who help him lead are trying to lead this church to follow the Lord. And so maybe I'd do it a little differently here or there. But as long as there's evidence that they're trying to follow the Lord and preach the word of God and love people, I think I'm just going to try to help everybody be on board. Amen. You have ability. You can use it for selfishness or service. You have resources. You have time. Let me give you one more, and, I, and I'm so thankful Brother Max touched on this in the, in the welcome as a Christian. Here's what a lot of Christians are doing today, complaining about the way things are. Let me ask you a, as a child of God, what investment are you making to make your community a better place? Man, all, okay, do you realize that every person you complain about that that doesn't know Christ, they are simply living out what is natural. See, so what's the solution to that? Help them know Jesus. So let me, let me just be honest. I have to ask myself this question. You know, and this is where the greatest source of conviction came to my own life. Who, who are you helping to love to Christ right now? Okay, great. I'm glad you have opinions. I have opinions all over the place. When's the last time you tried to talk to a person about knowing the love of God? When's the last time you said, listen, I don't, I don't know that we agree on a lot of stuff, but this is what I do agree with you on, that your life has value. And God loves you. And can I tell you how he, how he shows you that love and the difference it can make? As a believer, your power should profit others. Rather than being concerned with having more, ask yourself this question. How are those around me profiting from the power that I have? Let me ask you, do you use your power to profit others? Well, I don't, I don't have that much. No, in, instead of thinking like that, with the decisions that I can make and the resources that I do have and the opportunities that I do have, do I live to profit myself? Or do I enjoy the benefit that comes from them but then understand I have a responsibility to minister to people around me? Here's the two dangers, and I'm done. Two dangers, one example, and I'm done. Danger number one is we live selfishly. There are children of God who are going to spend eternity in heaven who are getting caught up in the dog-eat-dog mentality of our current American culture, and you are consumed with having me, mine, and as long as this little bubble is taken care of, I don't care what happens to anybody else. You live selfishly. Or... You live indifferently. You, it's not that you have a bad attitude. You just underestimate what God can do with your life. And you say something like this. My life doesn't make a difference. You don't have to be in the position of Joseph for God to use you to help other people. 
you know what? It's like zero, 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 point zero, 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 something percent of people that get to be world leaders. Most of the difference is made by everyday people like us who say, I'm going to live out the love of Jesus Christ and make sure that people around me profit. I will try to take advantage of people or I will live my life to help people. Here's the example. Joseph is an amazing, I believe Joseph is an amazing example. I'm not, uh, politically, like, I'm, not, I'm not asking whether you agree with all of that. I'm not even trying to analyze it from a political perspective, except just to compare it to what we deal with today and to admit he could have handled that so much more oppressively than he did. I want to look at another example. Last example, you ready? Someone who had power and used it for the profit of others. Philippians 2 talks about one who came from heaven and humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. His power was used for our profit. It's possible today that you are suffering because of the abuse of power from others and you, you need God's grace to help you. But the, and so you have opportunity to call on the Lord and to ask for help and patience through that. But I'd ask each of you to take a moment and to ask yourself this question. I may not have power like Joseph, but with what I do have, am I using it to profit everyone, myself and everyone else around me? Or am I using it only for myself? Do I underestimate what God can do with me? Or do I say, God, I don't know how significant my life is considered to everyone else's. I just know you love me, you've died for me, and you can use me. And so I'm going to live my life to be profitable, not just to myself, but to everyone around me as much as I can through the kind of person I am, through the way I love people, through my investment in my community, through my character at work, through my awareness of my nation and the way that I make decisions and the way that I'm involved. I'm going to seek to profit everyone. Do you profit those around you? Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Power should produce profit. As a believer, the power that we have through Jesus Christ should result in us ministering the grace of God to others. The power that you have in whatever role you have should result in you trying to be a prophet to those around you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, those at home, I hope that you're participating in this as well. Number one, acknowledge that you have some level of power. Don't, don't get lost in, well, it's not as much as them or it's not as much as that. Acknowledge that you possess some power. And I wonder if there would be some who would say in some way, I am living my life selfishly. Maybe when it comes to work, maybe when it comes to my family, maybe when it comes to church life, maybe when it comes to just the kind of citizen I am in my community. I, I am using my power selfishly. And that doesn't mean you don't profit. Joseph profited. And Pharaoh, the government profited. But he ensured that the profit was shared. That that he was showing grace to those around him and not just being some kind of tyrannical overlord. 
And so with your life and your influence, do you seek only your own good or do you, like Jesus Christ, seek the good of those around you? Father, would you please help us to be responsive to you if you have spoken. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you need to respond this morning, you have an opportunity to come and pray. If God has convicted your heart, if you need to ask the Lord for help in a situation concerning what we've talked about while Miss Brenda continues to play and Brother Adam begins to sing, if you need to come, you have opportunity to do that. Have thine own you can direct your attention this way. Thank you, Brother Adam. Again, guest, it's an honor to have you with us, everyone. Thank you for being a part of the service this morning. To those that are watching online, I sure do thank you for being a part of the service today. And listen, a message like that isn't, ma- isn't meant to make you feel heavy. It's just to help us understand we have the power to influence those around us. And so we use it. We use it for good in the lives of others, or we use it selfishly. And so just make the decision that wherever I'm at, in the food chain, <laughs> and all of us are pretty low in the food chain, amen, <laughs> wherever I'm at in that food chain, I'm just going to be a blessing to all the other little fishes around me, hallelujah, and trust the Lord, and thank him for his grace, and in the, and listen, I, I understand it's weird, and right now, and we're dealing with things, and I even referenced that in the preaching, and, and I do believe that our government has a responsibility to check their own power. I, I believe that. I'm not afraid of that. That's from the word of God. But we're not going to spend all of our time as, I'm not going to spend it as a pastor talking about people that I can't control. I referenced it this morning, and I'll even preach more on it later, potentially even tonight. But we've got to focus most of our effort on what we can control. Amen. Hey, we've got to focus most of our effort on what we can control right now. And so, however limited you think your power is, use it. For the good, whatever you have, use it to make this community and to make your neighborhood and to make your home a better place to whatever degree you can. And I know God will honor that. You are dismissed. Excuse me. You're not dismissed in here. Everyone online, thank you for watching. We will see you tonight. Everyone else in here, hang on for like five seconds. All right, sweet. It's great to have you all here. I'm going to run out to the foyer. Um, Just be mindful of this, that we have cleaning teams that clean after every service. And so if you would, please try to pretty steadily so they don't have to wait 